The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Hebrews 12 and verse 28 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So we have this image that we have a kingdom, which we're, we're taking part of right now, that cannot be moved. You may could destroy this building. You may, can, uh, you may can threaten us with lawsuits and courts and all kind of things, but you cannot move the kingdom of God. And so because of that, we ought to, we ought to have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And why is that? Why, why, ought, to, why ought we have a godly fear toward God? It says because our God is a consuming fire. So it's not just saying that he's a fire. It says he's a consuming fire. That word gives us the idea of a fire that is, that is burning, that is, that is eating, that is controlling, that is consuming. And so I want to talk about fire this morning. We've got a lot of uh, scriptures that talk about fire in the Bible that teach us about fire, that teach us about God and his nature through that. You know, I've said before that if you will take a topic in scripture and study it through, and, and pull that thread all the way through Scripture, you will learn a lot of things. You will learn a lot about yourself and about your sinfulness and your need of a Savior. You'll also learn about the nature of your, of your Savior himself. Okay? So I want to do that with fire this morning. What do we know about fire, the, the, the natural thing? We could, we could talk to Brother Glenn and he could tell us all about it. Fire is a consuming, destructive force. It is uh, fierce, right? It is something that hungers, okay? You realize that fire wants more. Fire will continue to burn, and if you don't watch it, it will, it will grow on you, right? I think back to a time when Meredith and I were trying to burn some leaves in the yard, burning some brush, you know, and uh, a little bit of a windy day, and I wasn't really even thinking about how dry it might be. And so start the fire, and then I go over to the other side of the yard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue raking up these pile of leaves, but I was outside of view of the fire. Y'all know where this is going, right? <laughs> I, I, I thought it's pretty mundane. It's separated from all the rest of the brush. Well, the wind carried that fire, and because I wasn't watching it to subdue it in time, it caught the, the underbrush of the woods on fire, and before you know it, I look back over there, and it looks like a scene from a movie. I mean, it is fire and smoke everywhere. And so then we're running full sprint between the hose, and, and we've got to get a pail, and we're, and we're dumping water off in the woods, and I'm trying to cut it off, and so I'm having to jump over the, the fire to go into deeper into the woods, and you can't see anything, and you can't breathe because of the smoke. And, and I, I, I think I basically just laid down on the road at one point because I was just gassed. I could not breathe with the smoke, right? It is an intimidating, hungering force. But also fire is a type, it could be a type of other things. 
Fire can be a type of yearning, a desire in your heart. We see this, and we'll talk about this in just a second, a fire that God has for you, a yearning, a desire that He has for you. You Fire can also be an image of wrath, of anger. It's also a type of suffering. And we see all these in Scripture. And so let's just let's begin here. Most often we think about fire as, as a uh, depicted in God's wrath. And, and ultimately the final destruction of this world. The wrath of God on sin, right? It, when you think about hell, what do you think about? <laughs> you think about fires, right? A fire that's not going to be quenched. That dieth not. What about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? This wicked, sinful place. And the Lord consumed that that place with fire. Just burn it up. Burn it off the face of the earth with fire. Let's go over to 2 Peter, if you would. Second Peter chapter three, and we know this passage. We'll look at verse seven here of Second Peter three. It says, "But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men." There is a there is a fire that is coming that the Lord has told us about, that is to consume all of the ungodliness, that is to consume this world, to burn it up. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know, as I was running through that fire and my limited experiences, uh, experience with fighting fire, right? (laughs) As I was, as, as my shoes were melting to my feet and I was running through that fire trying to fight it, I was thinking, this is a fervent heat, right? But it was, it was nothing like what this is talking about. This is, this is a heat so hot that it, it, melts, uh, it melts the very elements of this world, right? And so many people see that God, the God of wrath, who's, gonna, who's going to burn up this creation that has fallen in sin, that's going to burn up all these sinful people, right? And they say, this, this is just a bloodthirsty, wrathful, vengeful God. I don't know if I, if I can serve that kind of God. You know, this is what I love about the, the, the teaching of the Scripture, is that we, we see, we see the reality of our God. He is, he is a righteous and perfect holy God. Now we can't understand that because you're not righteous and holy and perfect. You have a part of you that is his, (laughs) that is within you that is, 
But nonetheless, in your daily life, as you're living and as you're trying to love and trying to forgive and, and do those things that a born-again child of God should, you are still a sinner with your, with your old man, and so you have no capacity to understand true righteous thinking, right, and holiness. And so I mentioned this Wednesday night, people have, have complained about the fact that if God is the judge of the universe, if he's the judge of the world, then when your case comes before him and, you're, and you have sinned, well, why can't he just dismiss your case, right? He's the judge. He can dismiss your case. Well, we may be able to do that in our courts, right? We may be able to dismiss your case regardless of your, of your guilt or innocence. But here's, here's what we learn about our God, is that he is perfectly holy and he cannot wink at sin, all right? So the only option that he has when he looks at you and sees your wickedness is that wickedness must be paid for, regardless of how much he loves you, regardless of the, of the nepotism. You know, he's, he cannot take your, your case and dismiss it. And that's why the beauty of the substitutionary atonement is so amazing. That he, in seeing you, it's not as if this is a judge that has to be convinced of anything. He sees the whole case laid out, the whole facts. And he can see your guilt and hate it with this great burning fire of righteousness. And yet, he can then say, I'm going to take that from you. And I'm going to lay it on the shoulders of my son my righteous and perfect son, because I'm not going to dismiss the case. I'm going to have my son serve your sentence, right? Now, that is a God who is so far above and beyond what we could ever even imagine. And we understand that because of what he teaches us about his righteousness. And we see that in these verses about his desire to burn up wickedness in the fire. In Matthew 13, if you'll go over there with me. Matthew chapter 13. And there are many, many other verses that are talking about fire, that are talking about casting into fire, um, casting uh, sinful people into fire, casting uh, other uh, things into fire, people out of, out of things into fire. But I tried to uh, be very selective for the sake of time. Matthew 13 and verse 49 says this, So shall it be at the end of the world. Now, Jesus is explaining to them this parable of the net. And he's saying, this is what it's going to be like at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the, the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You see that phrase happen a lot in, in Scripture, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it is, it is it's very descriptive. I mean, you, you know exactly what they're talking about when they say that. All right? it, is a, it is a place of anguish. Now, that's what's in store for wickedness. That's what's in store for the wicked. That's where I deserve to be because of my wickedness. Apart from God intervening, that is where I should be, is in a place of, 
of wailing and gnashing of teeth. We also see this as a reoccurring phrase in Scripture that says that the wrath of God was kindled against them. You see this in the Old Testament especially, where somebody does something wicked and the wrath of God is kindled on them. Now that, that kindle is talking about a fire being started upon them, right? It's, it's a fire going from one place spreading to another. That's why we have you know, the term kindling. It's something that can easily take fire. We see God encounter wicked people and His wrath kindles upon them. All right, so let's, let's move on. We've talked about the wrath of God and the final destruction. Fire is also used as an expression of an experience of suffering or an experience of adversity. In 1 Peter, if you'll turn over there with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. We know this scripture. In verse 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So this is an instance of a fiery trial, which we'll talk about that more in a second. A, a trial is obviously a, a situation in, in which you were going through an experience, an adversity. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, talk, it's talking about trying uh, gold and silver by burning off the dross. You put that element through uh, an experience of adversity, and in that, it burns off all the stuff that's not pure. This is talking about a situation that, that God is not necessarily bringing on you, okay? A lot of times people think that everything that they're going through, their experience of grief or suffering, is God testing them and trying them to make them better. And that's just not the case. This is talking about a situation in which you were tried because of your, of your stand in faithfulness, and yet the world is against you. It's a fiery trial that is, that is, ultimately, I believe, Satan is hurling at you to discourage you. He says to be strong inasmuch as you are partaking of the sufferings of Christ. So there are situations in which God is not involved in bringing this fiery trial on you. But I will say this, there are other times in which it is. Okay, There are other times in which the Lord is going to refine you in fire to burn off the dross. And we'll, I'll read a few scriptures that talk about that in just a second. We also see uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I never can remember their actual Hebrew names, <laughs> but we always call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Imagine their adversity that they faced and, and the trial of their faith that they experienced when they had a literal furnace that they were going to be thrown into unless they were willing to bow the knee to this other, uh, to this false god, right? And so what did they do? They said, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. We are not going to bow down and worship another god. They said, our god is able to deliver us, 
But even if he doesn't, we're still going to be obedient to him. And so they go down into the fire, and, and we've heard this so many times. What happens? There's a fourth in the fire with them, down in that furnace with them. And it says, and even the king says, his form is, the form of the fourth is likened to the Son of God. I, I believe firmly that that was, that was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself, coming to be there with them. You know, a lot of times we think that God is in the fire, in that he was the one that brought the fire. Well, just ask Elijah, right? Elijah, when he ran away and went up on that mountainside because he was despairing of his life, obviously he had forgotten about the fact that God had just delivered him from that contest on the mountain where he actually brought fire down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and ate up the stones and the water on the altar. And then one person says one thing against him, and then it changes everything. You know, that sounds like me. That one negative comment, regardless of how many positive compliments or comments I've had, one negative comment will change the entire feeling of my day. Right? The, the, the entire uh, aura or emotion of that day is tainted by that one bad comment. That's what happened to Elijah. So then he goes up to this mountainside and he says, Lord, I'm the only one left. He despairs and, and he says, I'm, I'm ready to go. Just take me on. I give up. You know, this should make you feel better if you get discouraged. Because even Elijah got discouraged. And so then what does God do? God shows him these mighty things, these, this whirlwind, this earthquake, this fire. But it says that God was not in the whirlwind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the fire. And then finally at the end, God came to him in a still, small voice. But yet sometimes we think, and many times uh, many different uh, Christians in the world will think that everything that happens, God's in. That every fire that hits them in their life, every storm, everything that comes on them is of God. That God's in it. That God's teaching me something. That, that I don't know why everything happens the way it does, but I know everything happens for a reason and that God is making this happen. No, God is not in every fire that comes on you. What is fire? Fire ultimately is a breakdown. <laughs> fire is a breakdown in the chemical matter, right? Sometimes fire happens because of the curse of sin in this sinful world. But here's what I will say. God may not be in every fire, but God is with you in every fire. Okay? We see that here. Did, did, God, did God kindle this great furnace of Nebuchadnezzar? Did God cause that fire to be hotter than it's ever been? Did God encourage Nebuchadnezzar to, to encourage idolatry? God was not in that, but God was in the fire with them. You see that? Your God will come with you alongside you in the midst of your suffering. You know, he's not, he's not, afraid, of, he's not afraid of the fire. He's not afraid of the storm. We have a God who is a consuming fire himself. All right, so let's go on to the fire that refines. In 1 Peter 1, verse 6, we read this. This is a different kind of fire. 
This is a refining fire. Uh, verse 6 of 1 Peter 1 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, that now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make this clear. This is talking about you're, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. We know that God does not tempt anybody with sin, okay? That's a clear teaching in Scripture. He is not tempted of sin. He does not tempt anybody with sin. That's not his uh, way of operating. But nonetheless, he may allow you to, to uh, suffer through what you're going through for the purposes of burning off the dross in your life. You ever just feel just kind of gunky? <laughs> I can't think of a better way to describe it than that. You ever just feel like, I feel like this physically when I, when I drank a, a, a full Mountain Dew, right? You just kind of feel like there is just stuff just in you, on you, that just, it's just, it's weighing on you. It's just gunk, right? I feel like this sometimes when I have been uh, listening to or watching certain content, right? Maybe, maybe you get off and watching a TV show or a movie and there's a lot of language in it. There's a lot of content in there that, that you really shouldn't watch. And you begin to feel that gunk just kind of build up on you. You know, sometimes the Lord will allow you to suffer through some things in a fire to burn off that dross. There have been times where I was, I was into a show or something like that, and then, and then I would feel that gunk beginning to build up, and then before you knew it, I was as busy as I have ever been in my life with work or with something else, and it was like all of a sudden I felt like I was in a fire and I had no other option but just to survive, right? And the Lord was burning off all that nonsense and stuff that I didn't have to have in my life, and I didn't even realize it. Now, it'll be a whole lot easier, right, if we just chunk it into the fire instead of having to be put into the fire to burn it out of us, okay? But the Lord is a master at making you be better, okay? So he will get out of you. <laughs> He'll get the best out of you. It just may not be very pleasant for you, okay? So I, I pray that we might try to, to throw some of the dross into the fire instead of it having to come out of us in the fire, okay? Fire also does this. It burns out the dross. It also brings out the truth. In Psalm 12, Psalm 12 and verse 6, <clears throat> we're told this of the Scripture of God. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. We've talked about the refining fire. This is a similar idea. That you can put something, a, an element, say you, say you gather a raw element up, and you want to make sure that it is pure. Well, one thing you can do is you can put it there in a furnace and burn off, and it'll burn off all those other things that are not silver. It'll burn off the, the dust and the, 
um, whatever else might be there, residue. Well, one time is pretty good, then you put it through again and again and again, and you do it seven times. That is the idea that the Lord is giving us of Scripture, Amen. that, it, that it, is, it is pure words. It is the truth. This ought to be fundamental. This verse ought to be fundamental in your, in your uh, study of the Word, in your understanding of what you're doing when you're studying the Word. Because if you don't get that, that teaching, then when you come to a verse that you don't necessarily agree with or, or something like that, then you can just, you just discount it. When you, have to, when you have to come to face-to-face with every Scripture and say, this is God's Word, it is pure, it is true, and it, and it does not disagree with any other Scripture. When you face that, you, you start to learn some things, right? It's real easy when you can be comfortable and just disregard Scripture that you disagree with. That's what I did a lot of my life. And eventually when I began to do the uncomfortable things of saying this Scripture does not reconcile with how I believe, and then you just let that Scripture be what the Scripture is and you change accordingly, that's when, that's when you begin to walk with the Lord like we're supposed to. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't, you don't rightly divide the word. I mean, obviously, you can misunderstand Scripture, so you ought to do it with much prayer and, and study, okay? All right, what else about fire? If we go to James 3, we learn this. Your tongue is a fire. In James 3, we're taught all about the dangers of the tongue. Have any of you ever experienced this where you say something and immediately you, you, hear that, you hear that phrase or that word just echo out there in the room and you wish like everything that you could just go back in time and redo it, right? It's just like a fire. James 3, and I'll look at verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member. And boasteth great things, behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. Well, that puts me in my place, right? To think that, that I have a tool in, in my speech and what I say in the tongue. That is set on fire of hell. Now that's that is pretty that's pretty condemning. I go back to that fire again that I started. And I'm sure that I'm sure that you could go to the, the wildfires out in California. I'm sure that that uh, most, if not if not all of them, are are innocent in the way they begin. You know, when we started that fire to burn those leaves, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't have a flamethrower to start it, right? We started it with one little bitty lighter that put out a flame about this big. And I'm telling you, that little bitty flame almost burnt down the whole woods that, that day, okay? But now think about this. Think about instead of just taking that fire from that lighter and introducing it and kindling it upon that pile of leaves, imagine this. Imagine you're taking a little fire that you got from hell. And you're bringing it into this world. 
and you're putting it up against uh, the skin of your friends and your family, your church members, and you're just letting it see if it'll catch flame to them. That's the image that we get here in James about your tongue and the dangers of it. That's pretty scary. I'll say this. My world was changed when that fire happened. I keep going back to that fire. That fire that we started that day changed my whole thinking about fire and about how we would burn leaves in our yard for the rest of my life. Okay? Because I know this. If you start it, you better watch it the whole time. It don't matter how, how low you think those flames are getting on the ground because fire is hungry. It will take every opportunity it can to spread and continue to live, right? So what do, what do we know about our tongue? What does that teach us about our tongue? It is a whole lot easier. It is a whole lot easier to watch what you say on the front end than to put out the fire on the back end. Okay, it was a whole lot easier for me to set up that fire in a controlled condition and watch it than to have to come in after who knows how long it had been raging through the forest and try to come in and put it out, right? And almost die and almost had a heart attack on the, on the road afterwards, right? And so that's how we ought to be with our speech. You know, you can always say something else I learned this about carpentry also. You can always cut a little extra off. You can always sand it down a little further. But man, if you cut off too much, you can't, you can't rebuild material on there. You know, It's the same with your speech. You can always say something else. You can always say another thing, whether it's a compliment or whether it's, or whether it's you, know, you thinking that you're telling the truth, right? Uh, even the truth and told... Uh, at a certain time may not be right, okay? You can always say more, but you can't always take back. So keep that in mind when you've got that, that thought swirling around and you're about to zing your, your uh, spouse or you're about to zing somebody with it, you can always say it later, okay? If it really is of the Lord for you to say this truthful thing and maybe you need to uh, reprove somebody, you can always say it later, okay? You'll, you'll never be able to take it back. And you may just be kindling the fire of hell on them that may just burn them up. And what happens, they get mad at you, and then all of a sudden their bitterness at you begins to seep into the rest of their life, and then all of a sudden they're bitter and angry at their family and their church family. I mean, we don't think about the implications of starting a fire. But once you start a fire, there's no telling where it's going to go. Okay, That fire may start other fires. Okay, let's go to something that's a, uh, a little bit more encouraging as we close. There's also a sense in which fire in Scripture is talking about a desire within you. In Jeremiah 20, we see this, that Jeremiah tried to put down the call of the ministry. And I, I believe if I was in his situation, I would have too, right? Very discouraging times, not a whole lot of, uh, of other people to encourage you like I have, thank the Lord. But he comes up in a time where it's, it's basically just him and the Lord's asking him to say things that people don't want to hear. And so he tries to put down the call. But guess what it was? He said it was like a fire shut up in his bones. 
There was a desire that God gave him that was so strong that he could not put it aside. And Luke 24, if you would turn there very quickly. And we need to move on. Luke 24 and verse 32, this is this are the, uh, the two individuals who were walking on the road to Emmaus. You know, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he appeared to these two individuals first as it, when he was resurrected. You know, he didn't go to Peter first. He went to, he went to these two unnamed individuals, some of the first people that he visited. And so he, he uh, hid his identity from them and and talk to them about the scriptures all the way as they're walking, and then he dines with them, and then he reveals who he is, and then he vanishes. And they, and they say, did not our hearts burn within us? It's like there was a fire within us when he was talking. Have you ever felt that fire? I have felt that fire at meetings. And when, and when you hear about the love that, the, that, that this God has for you and what he did for you on the cross... I mean, that's a fire that burns up within you. That's a good fire. That's a fire that seems to burn up all the other cares and the worries of your life. It's like it all just dissolves away. And your Mondays don't matter because you're here today and Sunday. Also in 2 Timothy 1 and, and verse 6, I'll just, I'll just paraphrase this. Paul says to Timothy, he says to stir up the gift that's within you. Now, the stirring there has a connotation of when a fire is down low and there's just the embers. If you just let it sit there, it will, it will just kind of fizzle out. But if you stir it up, it will revive that fire, right? Now, I think there's a sense in which, obviously this is, this is referring to the gift of the ministry, but I believe there's a sense in which we all have a fire within us, a desire for the Lord that sometimes gets down to the embers and you ought to stir it up a little bit, right? Stir it back up. Get that fire back to blazing. You know, because it's a cold world out there, right? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. We were camping one time. It took us forever to get the fire started. And it's blazing good, good dry wood. Uh, we had it inside a, a rock pit. And then we all went to sleep. And... And at about 3 a.m., I woke up, and the fire was almost completely gone. Now, people complained the next morning because I started breaking branches and rebuilding that fire, and they, they, they thought it was like guns going off because of those dry branches cracking. But, but I knew that the next morning when it was freezing cold and we all wanted some breakfast, that we would be so glad that that fire was still going, right? Think about the cold world that you live in. When adversity comes on you, do you want to have to rebuild your relationship with the Lord, rebuild that fire? No, because when that comes on you, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late to rekindle that so that you can get the comfort and the warmth from that, that fire. Now, you, I'm not saying you're not going to be in heaven. You'll be in heaven because of the grace of God. But your experience in this life will largely be dependent on how you control that fire within you. Okay? 
And we're just now really getting to what I wanted to talk about, but I have four minutes left, so <laughs> I did really bad this morning. All right, so I want to go back to Hebrews 12 and 29. We read this, God is a consuming fire. We also read in Deuteronomy 4 that it says that when God is teaching them not to have any other gods besides him, it also says that for God is a consuming fire. So this is not the first time that God has ever been called a consuming fire. Here he was called a consuming fire in his power in Hebrews. And, in, and there in Deuteronomy, it's a consuming fire because it's talking about his jealousy. You know, jealousy, we, we often think of jealousy as a bad thing. But the jealousy that God has for you is this, that his love for you is exclusive. Amen. He wants you to love him back. And when we go off and give, and give that love to other gods, it offends him. It makes him jealous. Right? So he is burning. He is burning for you with jealous love. You know, I'm jealous of time with Meredith, and I know she is with me. I can't even fathom the God of this world having a burning, jealous love and fire for me. That is a God that I cannot wait to see. Of course, we see this, that he, he appeared to Abraham in a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. We see this also, that he appeared to Moses as a burning bush. I mean, what a beautiful type of your God. A burning bush that was, that was not consumed in the midst of that fire. That he can always burn. That he has always been burning, always will be burning. Not only in his wrath against <laughs> sin and unrighteousness, but also in his love and in his jealous love to you. Always burning. He is always on. It's not like us where our fire will get cold. And it'll warm up. His fire for you is raging always. He also protected uh, Israel with that pillar of fire. Can you even imagine having this gigantic tornado of fire protecting you? And of course, he consumed the sacrifice. There's all kind of other things. We need to get to this, though. The wrath that God had, that fire that he kindled up for, uh, for sin to be burned up, that God bore that fire for you. You know, ultimately, that, that fire of hell where the wicked will, will burn forever, where this world will burn up, God experienced that burning fire himself for you in that substitutionary atonement that we've talked about. That his burning desire for righteousness and his burning love for you could reconcile in the fact that he burnt himself for you. That is amazing. That is a God of righteousness and mercy that is met together, that has kissed each other there on the cross as Jesus burnt in that furnace of fire for you. And then you say, well, I'm going through something now. I'm going through something now. I don't... I don't need to hear about heaven. I need to hear about how I get through it now. Well, that same Jesus who burnt in that furnace for you that came down from heaven to get into the fire with you and ultimately to burn instead of you, he walks with every, through every fire with you now. 
whether it's the fire of drama at work, whether it's the fire of loss in your family, regardless of how severe that fire is, He is there with you. And this, I'll close. Deuteronomy 9, I really want us to read this. And I know we're, we're starting to push the, the line of the time, but I may not get to see you again. And I, I really would hate that I didn't share this verse with you. Deuteronomy verse nine and verse, uh, chapter 9 and verse 21. And this is the last verse that I ever get to preach about. I pray I, w- I would do it. If this is the last verse that I ever got to speak out of my mouth, this is, the, this is the verse I would preach again. You know, as, as Moses was up there on the mountain, as God had come down as a devouring fire on that mountain, the devouring, hungering fire on that mountaintop, as he gave them the law, what, what were the rest of the people doing? What were the rest of the people doing when God, who had delivered them through all of this, who had a jealous, burning love for them, had protected them by fire all the way there, as he's up on the mountain in fire, in a devouring fire, what did they do? They used the little fire to smelt down this gold and to create this golden image that they would worship because they got bored waiting on the God of the universe. If that makes you a little mad, it makes me mad too. But you know what? I can't really be that hard on them because I get to see the cross, right? I get to see the cross on this side of, glory, of, of Jesus coming. And, and yet I still worship other gods. I don't have idols in my home, right, that we bow down and worship to. But you have idols that you put before God all the time. Every single one of you do. And God was wroth when he saw this. He was angry with them. His love is jealous. His love for you, he he demands that you love him back exclusively. That's what we see in, in the type of marriage that God has given us. We make a covenant that it's an exclusive love. But what does he do? What does God do? Does he take all of them and cast them into the fires of hell? Does he cast them into the fires that the unrighteous go into? No, remember this. He also burns with a love for you. Verse 21. And I took your sin, the calf which ye had made, and burn it with fire. Praise God. That's what happened on the cross. As Jesus, your Savior, took on our sins on Him, and He took them into the fire. Right? He took them into the fire and burnt your sins off. And He came back. (laughs) He came back without them on His shoulders. Right? He came back in righteousness. And because of the God that has a devouring, consuming, jealous love for you, you will get to be with Him forever because He consumed your sins in the body, in the man, Jesus Christ. I hope that's an encouragement to you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 